Part 1, Chapter 1 of Home Education Series, Volume 1. Home Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Home Education Series, Volume 1. Home Education by Charlotte Mason. Part 1, Chapter 1. Read by Haley Azar. A method of education. Traditional methods of education. Never was it more necessary for parents to face for themselves this question of education in all its bearings. Hitherto, children have been brought up upon traditional methods mainly. The experience of our ancestors, floating in a vast number of educational maxims, is handed on from lip to lip and few or many of these maxims form the educational code of every household. But we hardly take in how complete a revolution advancing science is effecting in the theory of education. The tradition of the elders have been tried and found wanting. It will be long before the axioms of the new school pass into common currency, and in the meantime parents are thrown upon their own resources and absolutely must weigh the principles and adopt a method of education for themselves. For instance, according to the former code, a mother might use her slipper now and then, to good effect and without blame, but now the person of the child is, whether rightly or wrongly, held sacred, and the infliction of pain for moral purposes is pretty generally disallowed. Again, the old rule for the children's table was, the plainer the better, and let hunger bring sauce. Now the children's diet must be at least as nourishing and as varied as that of their elders, and appetite, the craving for certain kinds of food, hitherto a vicious tendency to be repressed, is now, within certain limitations, the parents' most trustworthy guide in arranging a dietary for their children. That children should be trained to endure hardness was a principle of the old regime. I shall never make a sailor if I can't face the wind and rain, said a little fellow of five, who was taken out on a bitter night to see a torch-lit procession, and though shaking with cold he declined the shelter of a shed. Nowadays the shed is everything. The children must not be permitted to suffer from fatigue or exposure. That children should do as they are bid, mind their books, and take pleasure as it offers, when nothing stands in the way, sums up the old theory. Now the pleasures of children are apt to be made more account than their duties. Formerly they were brought up in subjection. Now the elders give place and the world is made for the children. English people rarely go so far as the parents of that story in French home life, who arrived an hour late at a dinner party because they had been desired by their girl of three to undress and go to bed when she did, and were able to steal away only when the child was asleep. We do not go so far, but that is the direction in which we are moving and how far the new theories of education are wise and humane, the outcome of more widely spread physiological and psychological knowledge, and how far they just pander to the child worship to which we are also coming is not a question to be decided offhand. At any rate, it is not too much to say that a parent who does not follow reasonably a method of education fully thought out fails, now more than ever before, to fulfil the claims his children have upon him. 
method a way to an end. Method implies two things, a way to an end and step-by-step -step progress in that way. Further, the following of a method implies an idea, a mental image of the end or object to be arrived at. What do you propose that education shall affect in and for your child? Again, method is natural, easy, yielding, unobtrusive, simple as the ways of nature herself, yet watchful, careful, all-pervading, all-compelling. Method, with the end of education in view, presses the most unlikely matters into service to bring about that end, but with no more tiresome mechanism than the sun employs when it makes the winds to blow and the waters to flow only by shining. The parent who sees his way, that is, the exact force of method to educate his child, will make use of every circumstance of the child's life almost without intention on his own part. So easy and spontaneous is a method of education based upon natural law. Does the child eat or drink? Does he come or go or play all the time he is being educated? though he is as little aware of it as he is of the act of breathing. There is always the danger that a method, a bona fide method, should degenerate into a mere system. The kindergarten method, for instance, deserves the name as having been conceived and perfected by large-hearted educators to aid the many-sided evolution of the living, growing most complex human being, but what a miserable wooden system does it become in the hands of ignorant practitioners? A system easier than a method. A system of education is an alluring fancy, more so on some counts than a method, because it is pledged to more definite calculable results. By means of a system, certain developments may be brought about through the observance of given rules. Shorthand, dancing, how to pass examinations, how to become a good accountant or a woman of society may all be learned upon systems. System, the observing of rules until the habit of doing certain things, of behaving in certain ways is confirmed and therefore the art is acquired, is so successful in achieving precise results that it is no wonder there should be endless attempts to straighten the whole field of education to the limits of a system. If a human being were a machine, education could do no more for him than to set him in action in prescribed ways, and the work of the educator would be simply to adopt a good working system or set of systems. But the educator has to deal with a self-acting, self-developing being, and his business is to guide and assist in the production of the latent good in that being, the dissipation of the latent evil, the preparation of the child to take his place in the world at his best with every capacity for good that is in him developed into a power. Though system is highly useful as an instrument of education, a system of education is mischievous as producing only mechanical action instead of the vital growth and movement of a living being. It is worthwhile to point out the differing characters of a system and a method because parents let themselves be run away with often enough by some plausible system, the object of which is to produce development in one direction, of the muscles, of the memory, of the reasoning faculty, and to rest content 
as if that single development were a complete all-round education. This easy satisfaction arises from the sluggishness of human nature, to which any definite scheme is more agreeable than the constant watchfulness, the unforeseen action called for when the whole of a child's existence is to be used as the means of his education. But who is sufficient for an education so comprehensive, so incessant? A parent may be willing to undergo any definite labours for his child's sake, but to be always catering for his behoof, always contriving that circumstances shall play upon him for his good, is the part of a god and not a man. A reasonable objection enough if one looks upon education as an endless series of independent efforts, each to be thought out and acted out on the spur of the moment. But the fact is that a few broad essential principles cover the whole field, and these once fully laid hold of, it is as easy and natural to act upon them as it is to act upon our knowledge of such facts as that fire burns and water flows. My endeavour in this and the following chapters will be to put these few fundamental principles before you in their practical bearing. Meantime, let us consider one or two preliminary questions. End of part one, chapter one.